Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. Folks, uh, we were going to have fun today talking to, I guess she's in Montreal, Canada. Help me welcome Kate Lynn Good. And uh, Caitlin's had a uh, fun and exciting and accomplished life. And we're going to dig into that. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you so much, Larry. And thank you for having me today. I'm super excited to dive into this conversation and see where it takes us. Yeah, I'm really interested to hear about your background and what was going on in your mind as you came up through the ranks. Let me let people know you retired at 21 years old because of an injury and you were a competitive figure skater and extremely successful competitive skater. You were a uh, world-class and let's see, four-time world team member, Danish national figure skating champion for the whole country, Canadian national synchronized skating champion and world silver medalist. You were on the podium. <laughs> Long time ago, yes. <laughs> yeah, and probably headed for the gold until you uh, had the injury. But uh, unfortunately, when we're in athletics, we depend on the body and sometimes things go wrong and knock us out. But the great thing is, the mental lessons you learned from that mm. process, you can apply the rest of your life and win. And so Absolutely. nobody can ever take those things from you. You know, a, an injured body part can't take that insight. And as we know, winning an attitude and your approach is uh, the key to success in whatever you're doing. And so you went to work on learning those lessons right from the beginning. How early did you get into your figure skating enterprise? I started skating when I was three years old, actually. Wow. And I actually wasn't one of the most talented skaters. I was never the girl that you would say, oh, that one's going to make it to world championships. But I had an incredible amount of will and an incredible amount of heart. And I just loved the sport and everything that it brought out of me and out of my life. And so I would say my career actually started to really take off when I was only about 15 years old when I moved from Toronto to Montreal and really started to catch my stride in the synchronized skating world, which is where we podiumed. And then I realized that I really wanted my name on the bright lights instead of Les Supremes. And so then I made a transition from synchronized skating into ice dance, which is really where again my career took off and had some pretty incredible experiences there. Did you have role model, your family at three mm. years old? Did you get swept up in it because that was what everybody was doing? Great question. My parents put us in kind of every sport and let us choose. So I did baseball. I did figure skating. My dad was a very, very good hockey player. And so he kind of pushed us towards the ice. But then when I won my first little medal in, in my cute dress, I was like, there's no way you're taking this away from me. And so I really stayed with figure skating and took it as far as I could. But yeah, yeah role models where my parents were incredibly supportive. I owe so, so much to them and really just encouraging me, but it was always my choice. It was never something that they forced us to do. And I'm from a family of four girls. So we were all pretty competitive and heavily into this sport. What were you in the birth order there? So I have a half sister who's seven years older than I am. And then I have two younger sisters. So ah, kind of the oldest. Yeah. 
So as starting as a youngster, you know, it's just fun. You're out there. And when did it start to get the first little bit of tough? Mm. You know, you start to feel some friction. And Mm. uh, when along the way do you remember that uh, it started to be there started to be Mm. more to it than just going out and having fun? Yeah, I would say probably around the age of 10, 11. Yeah. Most, at least women retire usually around 15 when they either it's like a make it or break it kind of age 14 15 am i going to continue doing this every day for multiple hours a day or am i really going to go hang with my friends and see what life has to offer and so i would say around 10 11 is when i really start to get that competitive itch and feel like i had to start performing in order to continue to move forward continue to advance and i worked really hard for every every element every edge i was something i really had to work Towards. And I have had one coach that was pretty defining in my career there. And he told me one day, he said, Kate, you're, you're really good at a lot of things, but you're not great at one. Yeah. And that has stuck with me forever. And I realized I said to myself, like, I want to be great. I want to be known for something. Yeah. And so that was a pretty defining moment for me when he said that and decided that that was the path and I wanted to be great at skating. And I, that's where I was going to go. How old were you? I must have been around 13 at that point. Uh-huh. And it was getting competitive. At that point, it already had gotten competitive, I guess. Right. Yeah. We're competing at a regional level at that point. And then when I moved to Montreal is really when I started competing more at a provincial national level to the world championships. And as you started focusing on being great, what was the part of your skating that became your greatest strength? And how long did it take you to get to where you said, I know winners and I know champions and they never really feel they're that good. (laughs) Mm. What causes them to keep improving every day. But at some point along the way, do notice that you're a whole lot better than a whole lot of people. And where did you start getting that in your Mm. mind? uh, A kind of confidence Confidence. comes from accomplishment. Mm. It is such an ironic thing, eh? How we... The more we get better, the more skilled or more competence we get at something. Sometimes our confidence actually doesn't follow parallel to that. But I would say I started to get my confidence. I was a very, how do I describe this? Like emotional skater. You could always really feel my presence on the ice. And I think that was really what I started to tap into is learning how to communicate with the audience through my eyes, through my from, through my hands, through my body language, and really create a performance around. So not just about the jumps or not just about the elements, but really about making the audience feel something. And how do you do that? How do you draw? These things uh, relate. The thing about getting great at something, that's like a company, you know, or like mm. an advisor or something like, you know, if you're going to perform a service for people, I look at these mentors and uh, life coaches and whatever. It's just like, you know, I don't need help on get a little bit better than <laughs> that little tree, you know, a little life hack, 50 life hacks. There's nothing more useless to me than a list of 50 life hacks, except for me, <laughs> you know, one in there will jump out, but uh, nobody's going to go through. Okay. Let's, you Let know, write them down serious about something. A lot of that crap you ought to get together yourself by working <laughs> yeah. hard and just modeling other people. But it does no good to just be good at everything. You, If you're a company, you got to have a product, you got to have a service that, bam, I mean, you deliver on every single time and people have a great feeling about it. You know, like even mm, like even yeah. uh, Jimmy Buffett, when that, by the way, that 
I was at the skin doctor this morning and I was asking him about that, the skin surgeon. And he said, one in a million. He said, maybe in a, a lifetime, a dermatologist or a skin surgeon would see that type of rare thing that he had. It was just like, poor Jimmy just got knocked out. I mean, it was just his mm. number came up because he described all the things you can do if you catch it early. And he said, and even then it's a crapshoot that it's. And so, but in his life, and right now I'm in Aspen where he had a big oh, wow. here in Aspen. In fact, he played at the big festival uh, two uh, Labor Days ago and yeah. uh, he lived here. He's married here and, you know, had children here and also, and actually in Palm Beach too, <laughs> which is the other place I live. So that's what's yeah. on my mind here. I really hate to see him, hated to see him yeah. go. But in his success, all the things that mushroomed from his success, you know, he was obviously good at business, good at this, good at that. But he had eight songs. You know, he wrote hundreds mm. of songs. He had the great eight. And every time they played, <laughs> the band knew we got to play. We're, these were playing every night. And so oh, yeah. musicians, they can make a career out of one great song and just some yeah. average songs. And all, you know, so you need to have something great to go out there and make a splash out there and it's you know it's the same thing in business with products and all and the same thing in sports and so as you connected how did you feel like how did you go about developing that contact with the audience and start to evolve into that thing where you knew you had something you knew you could hmm. where did it come from hmm i think for me it always came into like getting into character on ice uh -huh. and a lot of that came from the rituals that I did before, the mindset things that I thought through before I stepped on the ice. And every time that I stepped into the arena, you step in with intention and you step in really thinking through, okay, the performance doesn't begin when the music starts. The performance begins way before that. It begins on the bus. It begins on your way to the rink. It begins the moment you open those arena doors and then the moment you, your blade hits that ice. And so there was a lot of intentionality that I put in to that. And that just kind of overcame my entire body, which creates this character when you're on the ice that people can really start to really too. I think it, hope, I don't know many actors, but I think it's probably a similar process where they get into this new character and become whatever that is that they are trying to portray. And so I used a lot of that. I used a lot of eye contact. So getting very up and close and personal with the audience that are watching and really trying to bring them in and make them feel something. For those of you who are sick and tired of fooling around and are dead serious about wanting to move up fast, I've got something especially for you. I've combined the best insights from over 40 years in business and making $70 million in income and compressed them into a free webinar. That's right, it's a free resource. If you want to find out exactly what the concepts are that I use in coaching million dollar earners, register now at widelonwinning.com. You'll discover the five-part framework used by so many to reach their financial, personal, and professional goals. You can find that link in this episode's show notes. Yeah, and it's amazing how that can be transmitted where people in the audience can tell. It's just like customers. They can mm. tell. I'll never forget, we used to go to this... Uh, in uh, North Carolina, we went to this little church for a while, and uh, then we changed. And my uh, eight-year-old, one of my youngest son, I was asking him about, you know, did you mind 
changing churches. And he said, no, he said, the minister over there doesn't like kids. An eight-year-old, he said, he doesn't like kids. And I thought, where did he get that from? And then I started thinking about every time the, the guy would come up, he'd make a big deal out of the adults and basically ignore all ignore. the children. But it's amazing. Just And he, I'm sure that the pastor was oblivious that he did that because I'm sure he yeah. had gone out of his way to connect with the kids. But as we go through our lives, we need to think about who we're taking for granted, who we're discounting. And at uh, as you get older and you walk down the street, the young girls don't pay attention to you. I can tell you if you're, you know, <laughs> that's one thing. It's like, and you can tell, as soon as they see, you know, as they, soon as they see you, it's like, nah. <laughs> Whereas maybe 40 years ago, it's like, you know, they might stop and look. <laughs> yeah, the, the gays may linger a little bit, but at this point, no. <laughs> but it's just funny if you're aware of that, no. No, yeah, you know, but you're looking, and it's important that at, when you're in business or you're trying to connect with people that you're aware of that, you know, that really people pick up on how you're responding to them. And it's amazing to me that I've never really thought about an ice skater, but I guess you could tell who is so self-centered, only thinking about themselves. I won't mm. call names, but there have been ice skaters that really people have not liked that have mm. been really brilliant, but they just nah don't connect really like them. And then there's others that really connected with the audience. I've never really thought that that was something that you could work on, but I guess that mm -hmm. that, that depends on, on you. I mean, that is a skill because you could have all the other technical skills and the performance, but if you don't connect with your audience, ah, you know, especially yeah. You're not going to make that sale, no matter how right it is right. for the client. And so is that something that gave you confidence? Definitely something that gave me confidence because you could see people instead of being on their phones or not paying attention, they're watching you. And so I think that really drove me to continue to do that. But I think this, I know you mentioned a lot of like business and customers, and I've taken that actually really into my business career now is it always begins and starts with that customer and understanding what they feel and what they want. And so I've taken that kind of same intentionality into a lot of the marketing that I do, which is all rooted in in the customer, making sure that you're interviewing them consistently and using their language in your copy. And so, yeah, I think that is definitely something that's given me confidence both on the ice and now in business. And to use, to learn that uh, prepping skill as a kid uh, mm -hmm. is a tremendous advantage. I'm sure for the rest of your skating career, but because you got to look at where that led from mm -hmm. 13 years old, you're going to get great at something. Yeah. You know, you had an idea of what that could be. And I'm sure you're improving all your other areas that you needed, you know, in athleticism and fitness and all of that, but mm -hmm. uh, to be able to have the mental side, the awareness of the mental side early in the game had to be an incredible plot because you look where it led. It led to world championships and podium finishes and things like that. It's not an accident. The thing is, we need to realize that people are on top. They've got something. And I used to coach all of our managers. It's like if you look at your competition and you see all the idiotic, stupid, moronic things they're doing, I said, you got to look past that. You know, because <laughs> if they're high, if they're up the charts, if they're beating you, they're doing something that's so good, you know, that it's yeah, all, totally. like, all those obvious infuriating things that just drive you nuts. And so look past the infuriating things to, <laughs> ultimately, 
because they've got to have some strengths in there. And so as you came up the competitive ladder, where was your first big breakthrough? Oh, my first big breakthrough. I would say it was likely at, it actually wasn't at a competition. I think I would classify that actually. My big breakthrough was when I made the transition from synchronized skating to ice dance. And in order to do that, you have to find a partner, which in my time and likely still today, it's very hard to find. There's a lot of women who are skating and very few men. And so there's actually a website called icepartnersearch.com. And you have like a pretty much like a dating profile, your height, your weight, your skill set, your videos, your photos. And essentially I went down to try out with a gentleman by the name of Nikolai Sorensen. He is a Danish figure skater who was living in the United States. And he wasn't my first tryout. I did. I went all over the U.S. My mom drove me to all these tryouts. And essentially you go on the ice and you skate with this person and see if it's a fit. So I was his 17th tryout. And we, I brought to, going back to what we were talking about before, I really brought that kind of like emotional character, getting into that character and skated with him. And we decided to skate together. And so I would say my breakthrough was actually that day and that tryout we danced to uh, fever and i just really got into the music and our connection was very very clear from the beginning and that really changed the whole trajectory of my skating career okay and so from that you've got to start working into a really tight professional type of relationship on in performance and how long yeah. did that take to work on that relationship and performance. Um, right. it, it took every, yeah, that takes every day, eight hours a day. And uh, that's the amount we were training. We, so I okay, moved. Let's talk about a day. Let's talk about a day. Mm-hmm. And how old are you? Right now I am 32. Yeah. And back then <laughs> I would have been 18. Yeah. 18. 18. Yeah. So you're an 18 year old and you're putting eight hours a day into your skating. Now, did you have an end? result in mind beyond you're going to compete you're going to win a championship like how this is going to play out in your career in your life or thinking short term it was very clear blinders on the olympic games that was the goal was to reach the olympic games and so after that tryout that we had in april i came home packed my bags and left two weeks later to move my entire world by myself to connecticut to train and, and to skate with him um, and so I think, what did a day look like? We go to the rink in the morning. you got an apartment in Connecticut. Right. On myself. Yeah. So my mom helped me pack all my Eight stuff, drove me down. And we found a little apartment on, oh, we didn't even know the town at all. And just found something, at least I could live there and start training immediately because the season starts usually in September. So we had a few months to really get up and running and have our programs made and be able to compete that season. Now, did you have a coach? We did have a coach. Yes. His name was Matthew Gates. And what would you do? Eight hours. What do you do for eight hours? <laughs> ice skates? Yeah. You know, yeah. If, if I were to put on ice skates and ski around one time, I'd be ready to go home. <laughs> to get off. That's how I feel now. I, yeah. I do two rounds and I'm like, how did I ever do this for six hours at a time? Yeah. This is so hard. But so you have a lot of off ice and on ice. So the whole day you have your eight hours, you spend usually around two, two to three off ice. So you could do anything from a dance class to like physical weight training in the gym, choreography things off ice. And then you usually have two sessions, two to three sessions on ice. So you have a couple of hours at a time with breaks in between where you're 
first in the beginning of a partnership, you're going to, or beginning of a season, you're creating your choreography for your programs. You're trying to understand how the two of you work together. You're improving your skating skills. And so that's kind of takes the day. Practicing working like a dog eight hours a day. How important with a new person right there, how important is a sense of humor? Oh, great question. Very important. If not, it gets pretty dull. <laughs> but to be very honest, at the very beginning, you're really trying to figure out how each other skates because you you are two separate entities and now you need to become one. And so there's a lot of actual refinement in like how, let's say you're taking a stride, how high does your leg go? Do your legs height matches? Do your arm, the how high you lift your arms, do they match? How do you use each other's bodies to manipulate the movement? So it's a lot of figuring each other out and spending a lot of time together to understand this person as an individual and not just as the athlete that they are. Yeah. And so how did it go? How did the first year go? Went really well. So we ended up skating our first competition uh, that October in Lake Placid. And then we won the Danish national championship uh, that year. Wow. Now that was the day that you were in that because he was Danish, not you. That's right. So in to compete at the world level, you only need one partner who has Danish or whichever citizenship. So we could have also decided to skate for Canada because I am Canadian, but we did decide to skate for Denmark just based on the opportunity that it made the most sense for us. And then at the Olympic level, you need both to have uh, citizenship. Thanks for listening to the Million Dollar Mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealamwinning.com. Thanks for listening.